The opinions expressed in these materials represent the personal views of the participants and do not necessarily represent the opinions of Salient. This information is neither an offer to sell nor a solicitation of any offer to buy any securities. Any offering or solicitation will be made only to eligible investors and pursuant to any applicable private placement memorandum and other governing documents, all of which must be read in their entirety. Reference to any third party, specific product, process, or service by trade name, trademark, or otherwise does not constitute or imply endorsement, recommendation, or favoring by salient. Welcome back to the Epsilon Theory Podcast. I'm Michael Correo, Director of Investor Relations and Communications at Salient. I'm joined today by host Dr. Ben Hunt, author of Epsilon Theory, and by a special guest, Joshua Brown. He's an author, columnist, commentator, and CEO of Ritholds Wealth Management here in New York City. He's also the voice behind the blog, The Reformed Broker, and the very entertaining Twitter feed, at Reformed Broker. Let's uh, immediately turn to the first presidential debate, which, as we're recording this, aired last night. I would love to hear what you, uh, Ben and Josh, have to say about that. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate that. Uh, so, I, I, you know, this is the first podcast we've had with somebody who's not in the, the salient family. And, and, and I do want to spend a second on, on, on why I asked Josh to be here. So Josh Brown, downtown Josh Brown. I love that that. Uh, Thank you for having me, by the way. No, no, it's a pleasure. And, and you know, I think, Josh, like a lot of people, I got to see you on CNBC and the commentary there. And, and I got to tell you, I mean, for me, there are only two reasons to watch CNBC. One is is you, because you're actually oh, wow. authentic. Thank you. Right, Thank which you. is the rarest thing in the world today. And, and what I mean by that is the, the thing I particularly love is when – you know, you're one of the, the segments or the shows and there's a question or a stock that comes up where it's not part of your thing. You say that. Yeah. You know, you say, I, I don't know, which is which is the hardest thing in this business we're in of, of financial advice to ever say, I don't know, or that's not my thing. So there's a trick to that. Yeah. Tell me. Here's the trick to that. And I, I didn't, this is not a master plan that I came up with in advance. It's just something I figured out. So when you read the textbooks about how to get a response out of crowds and you um, understand uh, the psychology of, you know, why are some speakers on television so charismatic? Why are audiences? Well, it's certainty. So if I stand up and I say, guys, it is going to be 90 degrees out a week from today. Um, I'm telling you right now, that's going to be the temperature even though you know somewhere in the recesses of your mind that I can't possibly right. know that, right. yeah, you're still you want to hear more from me because I seem to have it all figured out. By the way, this is uh, this is in our DNA because the humans that listen to strong leaders with emphatic viewpoints survived, and the ones who listened to leaders who were somewhat wishy washy, they didn't pass on their genes. So Josh, that is, I, I write about that all the time, right? right? Because it, you're you're absolutely right. Our responses to what I call narratives or the more emphatically messages, something is delivered. It is the, hardwired, right? Hardwired response. So now, so now, okay. So, but here's the problem with that. Nobody wants to be the person who's emphatic and wrong all the right. time because right. there are enough of those people. There are I, plenty of those people. And they have great contracts and, yeah. you know, they're in demand speakers around the world. And um, so I emphatically tell you that I don't know and no one else is doing that. <laughs> and so that's my trick. 
I am absolutely certain that I have a view. I think my view is probabilistic where possible. But I am telling you right now, I am uncertain about (laughs) whether or not AT&T will beat earnings uh, this quarter. That's right. That's right. Um, So I think that's that's been a little bit of a trick. Again, it's incidental. It's not like here's what I'm going to do. I think it works for me. It's honest. And and maybe that's the the best that I can bring to the table sometimes is to say, all right, you guys seem to have pretty strong points of view. And that's cool. Some of you will be right. Some will be wrong. There will be very little repeatability to who's right and who's wrong this time from next time. But I'm telling you with certainty, this is not my area. I don't know. I have a guess like everyone else. Please don't uh, trade on it. Yeah, you know, exactly. So, exactly. You know. No, I, I love it. And the, I will say that the other thing I like about CNBC is just the sheer entertainment value of watching Steve Leisman, you know, <laughs> put himself into contortions to genuflect before our central banking cabal. But, you know. Stevie's Stevie's a friend of mine. He's got so he's got a view. His view is that things will work themselves out okay. Um, so and usually that well, that's right. So 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 far so good. So far so good. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So look, I, I I did want to you know not timestamp this, but we got to talk about the debate last night. It, Was it, there a debate last yeah. night? <laughs> so, so you know it's really interesting. So I I you know in a prior life I was a political science professor and PhD and the, the whole thing. And what I will tell you is that my my one insight on presidential debates in particular is that there is zero evidence, zero, that presidential debates make any difference whatsoever in the election outcome, whether it's... But there are old wives' tales. There that, are all these old wives' the tales, Nixon, right? Kennedy, Nixon, Nixon, right. right? You know, Bush 41 looking at right. his watch, you know, Gore and his sighing. Even though the GOP primary... Uh, there are a lot of narratives about why some candidates were knocked out before others. That's right. So. That's right. You, you get some evidence of it in, in, in primaries. But even with, you know, that colossal failure, for example, that Rubio had, um, you know, let's dispel this fiction, this, this, that, that horrible episode that he had with uh, Christie. You know, there's, there's really maybe that hurt him in New Hampshire. I don't know. But there's very little evidence that this stuff actually makes a difference, that people's right. minds are already so made up. And, and I experienced this um, last night because I want to ask you kind of where you watched the debate. So I watched it at home with my wife and my four daughters, right? Two of them were texting because they're, they're in college at, at, at USC. But I was in a room where, where I'm the only, you know, testosterone guy, right? right. And, and I got to tell you, we saw that debate through totally different eyes. Yeah. And, and it, it reminded me so much. I haven't had this experience in, in a lot of years, but the last time I had this sort of experience where I realized I was seeing something totally different from the person that I was right. the talking to was around the OJ trial. When, when I had conversations about that with African-American friends and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this guy is so you know guilty. And, and they had a totally different view of that. And it really hit me like a ton of bricks then, and it hit me like a ton of bricks last night. Right. So where, where were you? Where were you watching? I was, you? okay, so I was in my garage, um, exiled from the house by my family. <laughs> and uh, literally, that's my, that's, that's, I'm showing, I'm showing. Yeah, uh, we're doing great better, radio here, yeah. Sorry, I know it's a podcast. Yeah. I'm showing better picture of my setup. I had my laptop on a stepladder, and I have a TV in my garage. And the reason why is my family said, 
you have to take this out of the house. Out of the house. I have a seven-year-old boy and a 10-year-old little girl, and uh, <laughs> they have to be in, in bed sleeping, and I can't laugh as loud as I'm laughing uh, in the house. So that's that was my setup. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of friends that were at debate parties mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, went out to bars. And for me, that, that doesn't work because I'm really paying attention to what's being said. I'm really engaged. I don't want to hear other people's opinions in real time because, to your point – you know, I want to get my reaction from it. I don't want to have that mixed with other people's reactions in real time. So, well, let me give you my kind of take after the fact. Yeah. Uh, And and it really hinges on exactly what you're talking about, that that you have all this kind of instant commentary and instant punditry, let's call it. I'm partly at fault for that. I I I was definitely doing instant punditry. Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) What, What I'm struck by is that the 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 focus is on the performance which is which is always the, horse, the, case the horse race the horse sure. race right sure. but what was really striking to me is that and I'm going to the medics epsilon theory note is about this 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 phenomenon it's it's something in game theory called virtue signaling and it's when supporters and I'm, I'm going to focus on the, the the Hillary supporters here they're they're less engaged. They're, they're, the, the purpose is not to win the game for the team. Their purpose is, I want to signal how virtuous I am in my opposition to this monster okay. Donald Trump, sure. right? So that all of this efforts on, you know, fact-checking this and fact-checking that and all these efforts of, well, he's a even bigger hypocrite than she is, that's virtue signaling, right? It is signaling that that... You know, I'm opposed to Donald Trump, but it doesn't help Hillary win. And 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 I and I see that it so can much even ca- it could even calcify yes the opposition. Uh, it can it could galvanize the other because yeah because you're right we're on teams we're on teams there's no, like there's no way around uh, some people are, haven't chosen a team but that's but, what this but is turning into very turned few into. very few so haven't when chosen we're, right. so we're, right so when we're looking at the performance aspect we're talking about the horse race we've turned this into sports. We have running tickers on the news. You know, it's like what's your Pokemon Go team? Yeah, right? so we're, I mean, so we're on teams. Um, one team uh, is sick and tired of being told that they're stupid, exactly, and that their traditional values are, are stuck in the past, and that their labor skills no longer apply to the new. So you could you could kind of see where they're coming from, and then the other team is saying, "Well, I I am educated, I am informed, and." I genuinely think that it's going to be a step backwards if if we allow this person who's unqualified to, to take office. So you're not going to change people's minds, I don't think. So I agree with you. The debate, maybe there is like a shred of undecideds that matter because they're in swing states. But probably all you're really doing at this point, fact-checking somebody, like, come yeah, on. Yeah, come on. Come on. We're, it, we're two it, it years is counterproductive. We're a year it, it, past that. Exactly. Right? It is counterproductive because – these elections become turnout elections. Yeah. So it's not about, oh, Hillary suddenly convinced undecideds to vote for her or or Trump, vice versa, right? Mm-hmm. What Trump's doing is trying to, to push down Hillary's turnout. And, and what I'm struck by is that the nature of Hillary's support is doing nothing to, to, to bring up the turnout for Hillary. It's nothing there was for Hillary. Yeah. Well, she, I mean... And part, it's partly, self-inflicted, right? Partly it's by design. Um, I don't think she's an inspirational figure. For sure. She has the, the 
So it's a it's a double edged sword. She has experience. She's very qualified. She's got, but you don't have to like. I mean, tr- see, Trump had a chance to really blow her out of the water on the experience point last night, mm-hmm. but he but he garbled it. Where he said, "Yeah, she's experienced, but it's bad, bad experience. experience." Right. So he that was not it was delivered in kind of a miasma of other words and yep. thoughts. Rosie O'Donnell came up somehow, <laughs> right. like but but a, a more skillful orator who was really prepared would have really hammered that point home, and that's the essence of why it's a uh, it's a it's a dead heat. She is way more qualified than him, but that doesn't mean you have to like the position she's taken, um, the things that have happened on her watch as Secretary of State. Uh, Etc. So, you know, I think it's a really big aspect of it. Um, and she, right, she's not Obama. She's not Trump. She doesn't have the charisma. Um, public speaking is really not her forte. She's nowhere near her husband in, in terms of being able to relate, you know. And uh, I think there was this sense that, oh, she's a woman, so she'll be transformative because it's the first time mm-hmm. there's a mm-hmm. woman as, as the candidate – um, but my my wife doesn't particularly like her. None of her friends like her. I mean, that's not scientific, yeah. but you know. Well, so, and this was my experience as well, watching my wife surprising and, to and, me. and my kids. They're they're not. It's not that they're big Hillary fans at all, but they despise. Right, right. Her. But that is that enough? So you you make is, is that enough? enough to get get people to come out and vote? It's enough to produce a dead heat. Yeah. Um, look, I I see billboards. I, I billboards. I see bumper stickers and lawn signs for him everywhere. And he's not going to win my state. I live in New York. But I see Trump sign it. People want to outwardly say, I am a Trump. I am a, a deplorable. Or, you know, yeah. I see people change their handle on 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 Facebook, on Twitter, their their avatar. I'm not seeing anything like that for her. No, nothing so, like that. Nothing yeah. like This is what I mean by that the, that the support for Hillary is, is just – and it, it is pretty typical for the Democratic Party, frankly, because, you know, it's the traditional circular firing squad that – Right, you know, people just describe the, the Hillary. Look, if you Hillary is the missionary position. I mean, tr- and Trump is something new, and that's you know that's I think the fervent, uh, um, the the passion that you're seeing for Trump, even if you think it's misguided, even if you think it's it's um, you know people who are un- uninformed or less informed, whatever it exists. Right, right. It's and not, it's of it a greater magnitude. Real. It's of a greater magnitude, and you know he lost last night objectively. Like I don't think anyone who doesn't have a horse in the race could watch that and say that he did a good job. He's done much better in previous debates, but it doesn't matter. The polls came out matter. today, and no one cares. Right? No one cares. So, but you know, and this is the where I wanted to go next with it because the on that horse race issue, and that no one cares, and that we've got kind of these calcified views already on the two teams. It struck me not for the first time in this in this electoral cycle that. Trump's style combined with the the moderation or the lack of of a moderator, you know, at, at most of these debates. Sure. I kind of I want to explore your thoughts on it because it really struck me, you know, what's the point of even having a moderator, right, if, if he's so emasculated that he can't exercise any control over either the, the, the written or unwritten rules? I mean, at one point, Holt... You know, the best he could do was try – he tried to admonish the audience at one point and then ultimately he even gave up on that. Yeah. I mean it was just right. – it was kind of ludicrous, right? Because right. he's so uh, – I think they're so – and I use the word emasculated intentionally. They're they're so worried about the, the reaction 
right. for their career right. afterwards. And and it and again, it, it struck me not for the first time that that what Trump is so good at, and frankly, this is why I can't vote for him, is that he doesn't play by the unwritten rules. Right. He doesn't. The rules don't apply. The, the that's right. That's right. These these unwritten rules or norms of debates where you say your piece and you wait for your opponent to say the piece and then you maybe get a little back and forth. So do you think it's ever going back to that? Because I don't. It can't. It can't it, go. It back. will never go back. So in other words, she says that he probably doesn't pay federal taxes. Instead of saying yes, I do, he says because I'm smart. Because I'm business. smart. That changes everything. That changes everything. That's right. Um. Here's a guy that's had multiple affairs, well-documented, multiple marriages. He's got the value voters in his corner, which is number one. And number two, he says, I held back on her husband's indiscretions. <laughs> right, right, right. So right. if that's going right. on now, what What's the hell next? is going to be 2020? What the hell is next? Right. That's, that's right. And, and you see this in, in so many different areas of, of, I'll call it conflict, right? So that, that once – one side in a in a battle breaks yeah. again an unwritten rule like and it, it works and it works like World War One you use gas right? right mustard gas right then you never go back you well you right so back. so think about like even within my generation um, like like 1992 Bill Clinton was pretending he didn't inhale weed right 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 F- fast forward George W Bush I might have done some coke. Obama, I did a lot of drugs. Yeah. Like that. So that was a slow breaking of the paradigm. This is like that, like, but on three times the amount of speed. That's right. It's an accelerated process. Yeah, totally agree. Totally and, and this is, and I, and I said, this is why I can't vote for him. What, here's what I mean by that. I think of, this will be a weird analogy, but I'm going to do it anyway. So I think of the Constitution, right? Our government as like this amazing car that was built by these geniuses in 1789, right? right? And they, they, they built this and it, and it gets our country, it gets our people, our citizens from here to there. Right. It takes us into the, and it's just, it was amazing. They came up with this. It was right. Truly genius. And, if you need a new part, you could put on a new part. Exactly. It, right. Right, right. It, oil it, change periodically. It, it, it responded right. to the changes of, of technology and society and everything. Amazing, sure. right? But I, I do think for the last... 24 years, right? So for the the two Clinton administrations, the two Bush 43 administrations, and then the two Obama administrations, our car has been driven by what I'll call as the the, the one party, the one, you know, talk down to yeah, yeah. the rest. Well, the, right. It's, it's not even a party. It's a class. It's a class. And both parties are a part of it, the you perpetuation it. of it. You got it. And yeah. so they're driving the car, you know, not to get the people, our citizenry from here to there to the future, but really for their own benefit, right? It's sure. like taking the well, car and, you know, cruising the mall. Preserve, preserve the system because it's benefiting everyone. It's benefiting, yeah, yeah. You know, in the right, class. Right, in their class. Right. In their class. Sure. Right? And so there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, a Clinton presidency would be more of that, right? Which, I, which I'm not happy about. But on the other hand, well, I think is that there something a, worse? That's right. That's yeah. right. That if Trump's driving the car, I worry that he'll, you know, sell it for parts. Right. Right. I, I, well, right. So then you you'll, you'll see people say, well, she's corrupt. Well, sure. She's been in the game for three decades and she would not be where she is now if she didn't play the game. Right. And part of playing the game means compromises you don't want to make. Um, and so is she a little bit more corrupt than 
someone else, maybe, you know, without getting into like. I'd call her venal, you know, rather than corrupt. She has played the game. Right. She has played the game at the highest level in Congress as Secretary of State, as First Lady. She's played, you know, the governor's mansion in the state. She's played the game. So he doesn't have the legacy of all these votes that he's taken or any of that stuff. He played a different game. So there are people saying, well, look how he did business. Look at the, the loans taken from Wall Street firms that he walked away from. And um, look at this this subterfuge of I'm selling my name, putting it on a building. I don't really own it. The, the Atlantic City stuff. So he is probably on a par with her just in two different arenas, right. right? But he can say, like you said last night, oh, that means I was smart. Yeah. Well, so he can do that and she can't. But she can't. But so a very smart person said, well, they're both corrupt, but only one of them is an idiot. So that's why. So he's saying, like, I'm not political. I don't have a party. But this one's a pretty obvious choice. I'll vote for her because I don't like anything about her personally, professionally. However, she's competent. With him, I kind of think he's stupid or he's playing stupid for the better or whatever it is. But I can't vote for that. Like, I'm. in other words, a guy says I'm more offended by just willful ignorance than I am by the right. everyday corruption of anyone that gets that place right. in the game. And, and you know, for me, it boils down to the again the the, the mechanics of our, of this the, this car, this constitution. So, so what I can't live with is less the you know I mean, the car is going to be gold plated. Well, yeah, the car is going to be gold plated, <laughs> right? Or that it, Le- leopard uh, interior seats. Right? Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, there there are things worse than the the the, the class ownership. And, but but I do very much understand. What I think is that um, antipathy, that that visceral dislike of again this twenty-four year ruling class approach that yes. Clinton, uh, you know, embodies. Right. Because I remember I've mentioned this on podcasts before, and this is a surprise to I think a lot of you know, asset managed business. I voted for Obama in 08, right? Because and honestly, I wanted him to go to Washington and burn the place down. Right. Uh, because the, the, my experience, I'll be keep. Curious to hear kind of your experience or, or of, of 08 and the, 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 the financial crisis. I mean, for my fund, for my business, we did really well. We had a career year in 08 because I could go short stuff and I saw it coming right. and we did really well, right. right? But I lost a lot of my, I'll say it, my patriotism in 08 because you saw the, the bailouts. And I'm not talking about TARP. That was a sideshow. Right, yeah. it was it was paying off the AIG creditors at a hundred cents on the dollar, right? It was the temporary. Well, liquidity. the AIG creditors were Goldman. Exactly, and Paulson they, can't envision a world where Goldman doesn't make it. You got it, and then followed on that with the U.S. Treasury came out and gave the full faith and credit of the United States for the senior unsecured debt of banks. Right. And the next day, Goldman Sachs becomes a bank. Right. The next day, Morgan Stanley becomes a bank. Right. And it was just the the revealing of these, the the, the ripping off of this you know pleasant fiction right. that we have for these kind of naked sinews of power, and, and so that's why I voted in '08 because I was angry, and then you know you just got more of the same, more of the. Well, here's the funny thing about regulation. So the more in depth and hardcore you make financial regulation the more of an incentive there is for the banks to get even bigger. That's right. the only way they could pay for it. That's right. So you actually now have banks that are almost twice the size as you did. That's right. And less Before of them. Frank. And less of them. 
And fewer them, right. exactly. So yeah. we were so, talking about that earlier. That this consolidation—you know—look, everything has unintended consequences, and and uh, the unintended consequences of the regulatory overhaul following the financial crisis is that banks have to be even bigger now. Also, low rates force banks to be bigger because there's less of an interest rate to go around. Most firms can't make it on their own. That's right. They can't make money. So with more assets, you can make something. So I, I think that's that's a bit that's a big. That's a big uh, thing that most people who wanted more regulation or wanted Obama or whatever didn't see coming, that the crisis on the other side of it strengthens the existing players who managed to survive through it. Totally right. Yeah. Totally right. So let, let's bring it back to, 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 to markets, whether we want to talk about the banks, whether we want to talk about you know in, anything. So look, at I mean, we're in a dead heat. Seems that way. Right, and even if now looking at the electoral college, it's a it's a dead heat there. It looks to me like it's going to come down to you know what a North Carolina and Colorado do basically yeah. for for where this election goes. Yeah, well, look, I think I think that probably keeps uh, multiples on stocks in mm-hmm. check. Mm-hmm. Um, they're certainly not expanding um, with a dead heat election. History says that they won't. So so so, so say more about and that. earnings and earnings aren't growing. So we haven't moved effectively. On a price basis, not total return in the S and P since the middle of 2014. That's right. We've made several attempts, um, but you know, I I think so that's the bear the bear cases we're stuck. But the bull cases, look at what we've endured, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we're still knocking on still kicking new highs. Um, we we've endured an earnings recession that's now going into its seventh quarter. Brexit, um, all of the other issues of you know the Fed. The Fed is tightening, by the way. They're just not actually tightening, but they're talking as though they're tightening. So right. it's kind of having that effect. Yes. Um, but and I know you're you've have a lot to say on that. Yeah, yeah. But um, but I, I think so. You can so you can pick which way you want to look at it from. You can say um, multiples are going to contract and earnings aren't growing, um, and we have a potential for a president who could cause a recession inside of a month. Uh, literally, could cause everything to stop. Um, so that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is the market is smart. Um, it's not always right, but it's smart. It's figuring this all out as we go. The corrections are very, very quick. They don't last long because the people who now manage money all have the same math in front of them, mm-hmm. which is 73 uh, million millennials. They're investing for a 30, 40 year period, even if they can't hold that long. Another uh, 69 million boomers. They are now drawing on their savings. They right. need X way to return. Right. Like, so everyone is now doing this kind of outcome-oriented investing as opposed to you know retirement-based investing. Everyone's financial planning. Everyone's using ETFs, asset allocation. I think there's something to be said for the shift in the wealth management industry mm-hmm. dictating the behavior of the market. There's an anthropomorphism that you can layer onto market behavior and say – Oh, well, this makes perfect sense because not, not to say we can't have a panic, but the fact that the corrections are increasingly V-shaped in their recovery, it's because everyone's got the same math. And so when we go down 9%, everyone pulls the lever at once. Great. Rebalance. More stocks. Because that's what I would – the math in my software program says I need more stocks. Right. Much. So, right. And that, so you go down um, – in 2011, you go down 19.8%, almost the bear market. And the S&P, the next one is 16%. The next one is 11 and it's seven. 
and it's three. Now we're having one day corrections. Yeah. yeah. Right. We're having, yeah. we're having like the Chinese Yuan freak out um, August 24th mm-hmm. last year. It was like a one or two day thing. Right. We had another one in February, almost crossing over from a dip to a full blown correction. And then everyone pulls the lever. So if we all have the same math and if demography maybe is not destiny, um, I'm not a Harry Dent fan, but if right. demography is important and if regulatory regimes have changed to the point where most people are managing money in a fiduciary manner, the bulk of the AUM of the industry is now geared toward imminent retirement and everyone's facing the same low interest rate. It makes sense that we've been so buoyant. It, um, it, it does make sense. And, and what, I'll, what I would say that everything you just described, I, I think, goes along with the notion that the, the goal of governments today is to turn markets into what I'll call political utilities. Right. Right. Where it does bounce back quickly. Right. Where you're, you are kind of eking along. Right. The, the, the real earnings growth is and, and real growth in the world is is pretty abysmal. Right. right. But but you can you can keep it going. And if one thing markets are good at, it's good at, at learning. Right. So that these bounce backs and the math, as you describe it. Takes on a, a life of its own, but but there is one thing I think that 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 breaks that, and it's not it's not a what I call is a garden variety recession. It's not just the ordinary business cycle. It's if you have, you know, if if Deutsche Bank is not just insolvent but illiquid, right? It's right. if if China does drop the atom bomb of deflation and float their currency or something like that. The sort of systemic. So okay, so Deutsche Bank does a rights offering. Stock price gets cut in half. Some of the debt gets a haircut. Like whatever the worst case scenarios are, um, Deutsche Bank doesn't disappear, but various people in different tranches of debt and equity get hurt. Yeah, and it triggers some kind of wave of problems for banks across Europe and, to a lesser extent, Asia and America. Okay, so here's what happens. It's huge news. Mm-hmm. All the central banks weigh in on what it means. All the treasurers around the world, um, banking officials speak out, right? And then like a week goes by and everyone uh, – by the way, everyone de-risks. There's a big correction in the market. Yep. Everyone sells what they can sell, what they feel like selling. Everything gets hit. Apple comes down, you know, things that are totally unrelated. And then like a few days go by and interest rates haven't really moved and – the sun is out and people's kids need to be put on the bus and sent to school and got to go to the grocery store. And, you know, like everyone's life is, hey, you know, that Deutsch thing was really scary, but who gives a shit? Like I have to retire still. Yeah. Like I still – or if you're in my position, hey, I still have clients that need returns. And so not every systemic event is a systemic event um, in, in that – and I'm not saying there's nothing that can knock us – completely off that paradigm, but that's what's going on. You know, Josh, I'm with you. I'm with you a thousand percent so long as what we're calling a systemic shock is limited to the financial markets. Like it's a it's a Deutsche Bank epicenter event. We've got to recapitalize and the Italian bank's got to recapitalize and people get bailed in and, and like I'm with you a thousand percent. Well our banks or have have de-risked to the point where they're almost not taking enough risk. Oh, I totally agree there. Right, right? it is is it is absolutely. It's the European banks who never recapitalize. They, right, they, they're way. three four years behind us. Don't forget, they were raising rates in 2010. Uh, you know, they 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 are years and years behind the work, the hard work that we've already done to take risks out of our system. They just didn't do it. 
So they don't have the political wherewithal or whatever the reason. Yeah. But but what I'll say is that if the systemic risk is not within the markets, and this is why I want to get back to this notion of the election. Sure. Right? A political event in Italy, let's say, or France, or even Germany. If they or turn in China. the constitutional referendum in Italy into an EU referendum, exactly, which could right? happen. Right. Sure. So 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 then you get I think changes in the real economy, right? To to, to your point. Uh, and so that that's what I'm kind of looking at it. But I, I want to get back to, to something you said, right? Because you said if a guy gets elected here in the U.S., you think we're going into recession. You think that? You think a Trump victory is a recession in the U.S.? So I, I don't because I don't – I never make those kinds of predictions because yeah. I'm not smart enough to – I'm not qualified to call recessions in advance or in real time. But I think the consensus is right where they say – who knows? Like the range of possibilities under a President Trump is wider than the range of possibilities under a President Clinton. I think that's true. That's There's no doubt that's true. Right. I think you're right. But you can have a recession under any president, any congressional. You know. I, th- I think I think that I think that's likely, you know, whoever's going into the White House this January, I, I think. Sure. You know, you know we, we've, well, we've kicked this can down. Cyclically, it's been time. it's been a while. It sure has. One. Two, the conventional wisdom is when it comes, it'll be worse than a typical one because of how long we've prolonged it. I don't I know if that's science. Right. I, yeah, yeah, I think that's That true. sounds more religion than I science agree, to me. I agree entirely. But I hear that a lot, which is the longer you hold it off, the worse yeah. it's going to be. I don't know if that's true. Um, and then there's something to be said. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. There's something to be said for this idea that we're a more mature economy. So the cycles, with the exception of like an 08 – like the, the shouldn't the cycles lessen in intensity in both directions? Like why? In other words, why should we have what we had in 1907 in 2017? I'm with you. It's, it's a difference in, in of all people. You know, Ray Dalio at Bridgewater's does a lot of this. He talks yeah. about it's the difference between what I call is a a business cycle recession, an right. inventory led recession, a garden variety recession, whatever you want to call it. Right. Right. And and those, I think you're absolutely right. Those the the impact in both directions should be yeah the recovery is weak but because we have a much more active right. central bank and but you know by putting a floor on the decline you're also putting a cap on the ceiling right for that ordinary clearly we're cycle. living through that cap yeah right? exactly right what what I'm concerned about is is not the ordinary the guard variety business cycle but the long cycle these these big credit cycles the last one we had was in the 1930s. Right. And and we we had that in 2008, but we took all this emergency action that I think left a lot of the, the rot still there. And I think that rot really still exists. Well, China. right. It's a movable bubble. It, that, that's, that's right. And so so my I'll tell you my concern so about it went Trump, from stocks to houses to what ETFs what, what? to the, the, the to financial assets. To but, but, isn't that the, but isn't that the problem though? Like where, but where is the real excess right now? In, in, in sovereign rates. That's where the excess is. Right. Okay. Right. In the $13 trillion in negative yielding sovereign debt. That, that to me is where the bubble is uh, in the same way that we have. Which a is funny because it's an anti, it's an anti bubble bubble because it's being driven by maximum pessimism. In global economies, the, well, like that's it, why the money is there. The, the money's there, but but I tell you this: you were talking about you know behavioral yeah. investment earlier, and and I'm such a believer in that. What I see is that an entire population of investors, savers, 
they're not they're not owning this debt, obviously, right? Because right, right. you're, you're you're getting no income, right? Where what, so where they've gone? They've gone into into a new place. They've gone into equities, REITs, to REITs, to to, sure. di- to dividend, high, higher dividend equities, sure. right? But by the same token, guys like me, you know, hedge fund guys. We're buy, we're the ones who are buying the sovereign debt, right? Because I'm I am happy to buy, you know, Sanofi, the the big European pharmaceutical issued a negative yielding yeah. debt instrument. I'll buy it because I'm not in right. it for income. The, I'm in it for I'm in it for the greater fool of the ECB to buy it at a higher yeah, the, price. The individual market. investor doesn't even understand how negative uh, they think. Like you have to make a payment. They don't understand that it's being issued at a discount. Right. That's what makes right. it a negative. They think like, well, how would – let's say I wanted a negative yielding bonds. Where do I send the money to? Like they don't even – so you're right. That's the quote-unquote sophisticated investor is there. Um, some more sophisticated than others. Yep. I don't think the, the retail is piling into – so I agree with you. Where are they? They're in things like REITs. They're in things like my safe – quote-unquote safe dividend stocks. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm buying Colgate for 25 times earnings because it pays me three percent. Sure, but so so here's where I think the bubble is. So in that 12 trillion of of negative yielding sovereign debt, I'm I'm there. I'm a hedge fund guy. I'm there because I think there's a greater fool. The ECB is going to buy it at a higher price right. than I bought it for. Which is so far true. Which is so far true. If I get a whiff that that's no longer true, I'm out of there in a heartbeat. Right. And I, I'm not a sticky owner of that debt right. in the way that an income person of can course, be a very Of course you're not, because you're right. not being paid that's to be right. there. That's right. That's right. So that, that's where I see is the kind of the market. So, okay. Yeah, so then what, what causes that? What causes you to get that with an elect- political outcome? It has to be a political outcome, right? It It is the, the Italian election and a threat to the, to the Euro system. That's one. And the other, and this is my concern about a Trump election, it's not that because I agree with you. I, you know, does it trigger that garden variety recession in the U.S.? Maybe, maybe not. And if it does, I don't Jared know. Kush- it Jared Kushner is going to be the president. If, <laughs> right, if Trump, right, if Trump right. wins, you're basically going to have an entrepreneur from a wealthy family with an Orthodox Jewish background who's going to run the country. It's the way it feels, doesn't it? Right? The kids are right? the kids are going to lose interest in 15 minutes. The Trump kids, no doubt. Right? No doubt. Um, but he like he lives for this stuff. Lives for it, and he's right. learning on the job, and he's going to run the country. And 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 that could be fine. It could be. I don't, I don't know. I don't either. Say, but but what I do know is that if I'm China, and Trump's elected, right, I'm not going to sit there and take it. And this this is my big concern. You talk about what triggers all this stuff. If I'm China and you got a Trump in the White House, I'm firing the first shot. I'm they've been selling, but they've been selling treasuries for two years now. Net it, sellers. You know, but it's but it's not about selling the treasuries, right? What it is for me is. What what I would do if I were them and say I'm floating my currency, and that's what triggers the biggest problem for those. Of you is that the banks. worst problem, or is the worst problem they figure out what Putin figured out, which is give him a compliment and you own him, say something nice about him, and basically you can do whatever you want. Isn't isn't that a scarier outcome? I'm just thinking out loud. What <laughs> Josh? It is a scarier outcome. You got me he, there. He would not. He would not agree with the FBI last night about who hacked the DNC. Uh, it's it was it's it's amazing. Isn't like it? so so in other words, look at the people that spoke at his convention or that are part of his campaign. People that have given him compliments. It doesn't take much. So I think he's a strong, capable leader. Wow! Thank wow, you. You thank want to be you. my yeah, treasury right. secretary? Right. 
I mean, <laughs> right. you know, so uh, to me, you know that what, Josh? to me be scarier. You know, that is scarier because as you're saying And then what earlier, does Japan say? Oh, the U.S. is now cozying up to, you know, China, you know, so I. That, I you're right. That that on a, on a much more fundamental level is scarier because you're, you're also right, particularly in the U.S., particularly because the epicenter of whatever happens in the global banking system. The epicenter is not here. Right. Like not anymore. It's right. not anymore. So, and, I, and so I very much agree with you that, you know, we can get through pretty much anything systemic or not, but we can't get through that. That would be a tough one. We can't get yeah. through that. And, and look, you know, again, the range of possibilities is so broad. He could be Reagan just in a very, very, Unattractive packaging. <laughs> right, he, right. I mean, how, how do how could well, we how could we? In other words, what if he gets the job and it sobers him? I'm I'm so glad you brought this up because the the the, the solution right to massive debt and all the issues we've got is always a political event, and it's and it's always what we'd call a realigning election, right? And the last realigning elections we had was 1980. Both in this country and in in the UK, so you had Margaret Thatcher, you had right. you you had Ronald Reagan, and right? they were able to get along. They got along, and, Which, and that, right. that that really did change the the rules and the status quo. Right. So right, that's the hope. But boy, there's nothing I've seen. Well, the difference is you also had Vol- Volcker starting in eighty through eighty four. That's right. Lowering rates. That's, that's right. Not, that's not within the realm of possibility. <laughs> right. However, the U.S. government did not have the ability to fund infrastructure. At zero, effectively zero percent real rates, which Trump is talking about infrastructure. Pro- who knows how serious he is? But you know that could be so much. If we say, all right, we have a you know highest uh, debt to GDP ratio since uh, World War II, and yeah. can't go higher, he might be the guy that says, sure, it can, sure, it can. Well, you know, Reagan when he came into office, you know, he he, he also increased the, the the national debt tremendously. Right. Right. So it was, it, but it was. It was part and parcel of all these other things going on. And the, by the way, these are the uh, these are the conservatives. Yeah, <laughs> We're exactly. I know, I know, and that's the right, and that right. right. Josh, thank you so much for, oh, thank for, you. for coming. This was, no, this, this was, has been a lot of fun. Great. A lot of fun indeed. Great. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming, Josh. I hope you come back uh, tomorrow. Uh, yes, yeah, same <laughs> okay. time. Okay, great. Yeah. See you then. We'll all right, terrific. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.